0: everybody. This is Swathi Kella with the Harvard Political Review. Welcome to The Humans of COVID-19, a podcast series that speaks with real individuals around the world dealing with the coronavirus epidemic. Today, we'll be speaking with Ragini Malotra, a high school student entering her senior year from Gurgaon or Gurugram, India, a city that's about 20 miles outside the capital of New Delhi. She'll be talking to us about the medical, social, and political situation on the ground in her city.
1: Um, So, I'm Ragni Mahotra. I'm from uh, Gurgaon, which is in India, and I'm actually a high school student. I just entered my senior year. Oh, nice. Okay, that's cool.
0: So, to start off, what's the severity or perceived severity of COVID right now in Delhi? So, in Delhi, we're not
1: sure because our government, it's giving us some statistics, but they're acting as if it's much more severe. We're going in with the contacts that we're, we've just crossed 1,000 cases, but a lot of people are suspecting that it's much more than that. India has very strong, sorry, yeah, India has very strict guidelines for when you can get tested. So a lot of people aren't getting tested themselves. The criteria you have to meet to get tested in India is that you have to come in from abroad or you've been in contact with someone abroad and you're showing oh, severe wow. symptoms. So, there are a lot of people who don't have access to testing facilities and centers. Therefore, mm-hmm. we don't know the actual number of cases in our country. We're just going by what our government is telling us. However, people are pretty skeptical regarding the numbers.
0: So if you have to come in from abroad, do they not test people who came into contact with anyone who might have been from abroad? or
1: No. So my brother actually flew in from California two weeks ago. And they tested him at the airport. They did a very basic scan, just tested his temperature. And at the airport, if you cough, sneeze, or you have a high temperature, then you're put into one-day self-isolation period in a hospital. One day? Otherwise, Yeah, if you oh, have temperature. And otherwise, you're self-isolated at home with constant calls every two days from the health ministry checking on your temperature, if you're showing any symptoms. Mm-hmm. However... Suppose I go to the center saying, can I get tested? I've been in contact with someone who's recently come from California. They won't allow me because they're, test- they're saving the testing um, material for older people. and from people who are directly who've come in more from Europe than U.S.
0: Mm, wow. So is there a huge lack of testing supplies then for them to have the need to, to not test people? Or is it also just like, I guess, a lack of, I don't know, just... I'm, I guess I'm confused. Like, why not test people?
1: So the thing is that our testing kits right now are coming in from abroad. They're imported. So mm. I guess what our government is trying to do, they're, save, they're trying to save it for those who they feel genuinely severely need it. Otherwise, a lot of people, We, you know, we have a lot of messages forwarded on WhatsApp and self-scans coming in. But now that a scientist in South India has developed a testing kit, I feel that they're going to take the testing at a level above and more people will get tested and the criteria will be a little less stiff. In places such as West Bengal and in some states where the impact has been severe and there are more cases, like in Maharashtra, the cases have crossed about 200 and in West Bengal, the cases are rapidly rising. They've now set up hospitals in every small district in West Bengal just to ensure that the people coming in from the urban areas don't carry the virus with them into the rural areas.
0: Mm. And is, does everyone have equal access to the testing centers in terms of income levels? Or is this something that's more available to people from high-income areas versus low-income areas?
1: So the testing, the cost of a test right now in the public hospitals is about 66 american dollars which is 4,500
0: rupees Mm. um
1: people who come from the middle class and upper class families they're able to afford it easily but the workers from the unorganized sector who make about two to six dollars per day they don't have access that easily we do have a few government centers set up where the testing is free but the amount of people coming in for the testing is like the number is so large that they're not able to test everyone and then they give it on. Then they test based on age, and if you have any underlying diseases, because if you do, then they'll take they'll test you immediately. But if if suppose a thirteen year old goes and versus a thirty year old, they'll test a thirty year old over the thirteen
0: year old. I see. See, that's interesting because it's, I guess. In terms of testing, it might be similar, but it's the opposite in the United States where when it comes to treatment, at least, if you have someone who's older versus someone who's younger, they would generally prioritize the person who has more life years left.
1: Um, The thing is, in India, we're not in the stage where we're trying to build back. We're in the preventive stage. Mm -hmm. So because younger people are under the belief that, oh, because we're young, we're not going to get impacted. If a young person comes in, then they're more likely to text- test that person. And I feel like because we're in the preventative stage right now, our government is doing everything it can to firstly keep the morale high in the country as well as the panic levels low. Mm-hmm. And secondly, they're doing everything to prevent the spread of it. So even if someone who's not from that stronger rule or that stronger economic background does go and ask for testing they'll pull some loans and they will provide the test, though it'll be much more complicated.
0: Mm. And you talked about how the government's also trying to keep morale high. How have they been able to do that? Or what are, what are some of the things they've done? So we
1: actually went into a one-day lockdown trial last Sunday. Mm. And this was two days before the nationwide lockdown was imposed so Mm -hmm. when the prime minister made the speech for this trial lockdown he said that at 5 pm everyone should come out on their balconies or outside the houses with pots pans and they should start clapping (laughs) for the for the healthcare workers the sanitation workers Mm -hmm. doctors and nurses who are putting their lives at risk and you know i i was out of my house a lot of my friends were and the whole community kind of came together and because because of the fear of Corona, not many, you don't get a lot of human contact. Mm. So when, when everyone in a neighborhood comes together, it kind of felt like that the community was coming together to fight this virus. Mm. So our government is yeah. doing, our government is doing pretty well that way to keep the morales high.
0: And you spoke about the one day lockdown and just other measures generally in the atmosphere. How has it impacted the day-to-day life for you?
1: for me personally it hasn't really impacted it because i was on spring break for 2 weeks before the lockdown was imposed mm-hmm. and our school and schools and colleges were forced to shut down even before the lockdown was imposed so mm-hmm. we had about 2 weeks to mentally prepare ourselves for online classes and for online tests and not having that much contact with others
0: mm-hmm. but
1: i feel for like i mentioned like for people who 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 live day to day like workers from rural areas who've migrated to urban areas, it really, really took a hit on their livelihoods because construction workers, part-time helpers, cleaners, they're very much reliant on going to work every day to get their wage. Mm -hmm. And while we can work from home and my parents, you know, before the lockdown went in, they were given some money that just so you can stock up these workers and these people, these immigrants from uh, rural areas, they didn't have that opportunity. So even my part-time helper, my parents are doing everything they can to help her. Mm -hmm. But it has taken, not on me directly, but it has taken a big hit on their livelihoods. And for me personally, I've kind of been forced to mature up before. Mm -hmm. So at first, you know, I'd have someone making my bed and someone cleaning my room. And as spoiled as that sounds, that is how (laughs) like we work over here like we'd focus on our studies and we'd have someone else doing the daily chores Mm. but now my mom has sat me and my siblings down and she's divided the tasks and I mean it's fun but after a while you're just like wow this is tiring
0: yeah could you speak a bit more about the day-to-day impact on your uh part-time helpers like talk a little bit more about that
1: So in big neighborhoods, the part-time helpers, there's usually a village right outside the neighborhood or the colony where a lot of these part-time helpers live Mm -hmm. and they come every day into the colonies, into the houses to work. So these part-time helpers have actually migrated from less economically strong areas of the country. Like my part-time helper, she's from Kolkata and they don't know that much about what's happening in the world. Like when my mom was educating my part-time helper, she just told her that it's an illness which can spread really easily and gave her the measures to protect herself. But they don't know what's happening and they live in slum-like conditions. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for them to social distance, like to, to maintain the distance. So I feel like I spoke to one of them yesterday and they were confused. They were panicked. They didn't know what they, they, they knew what they had to do, but they didn't know why. I see. And a lot of the part-time helpers are now going back to their home villages and hometowns because if they're not able to come to work every day over here, they can't stock up, they can't buy food and basic necessities. Mm. So they're now going back home where, you know, they have a solid base, they have a family which can provide food from their farms. Mm. So the migration back home is a very stressful process for them. And I've only viewed it on news uh, news sites, but okay. it looks really, really scary because it's thousands of people collecting at bus stations mm. and many people walking home, like a 200 kilometers home, just to get basic food and necessities.
0: Wow. I mean, I feel like the fact that they don't know exactly what it is surprises me. Um, is there no collective, I guess, information effort or like, some sort of like unified effort that's being undertaken to educate them
1: so our our prime minister did give them a basic overview that this is what you need to do to protect yourself and this is what's happening in the world but he didn't address the situation in depth because if when my mom came and told me that ragni were going into lockdown i had Mm -hmm. basic idea that oh yeah the it's a it's a global pandemic it's it can spread really really easily so i i knew what was happening i was keeping track of the situation Mm -hmm. and i I knew i was tracking the rise in the cases Mm -hmm. but all these part-time workers they have very very surface-based information Mm -hmm. so they only know the what to do they don't know why they have to do it and i feel like that's instilling a lot of fear in them because a lot of them moved to the urban areas to send money back home in mm. the rural villages. And because they're not able to provide money for their parents and grandparents, they're getting anxiety, they're not they're living in small closed up spaces, so they don't have access to clean washrooms, to clear clean water. Mm. Yeah.
0: And Um, You wrote a little bit about a moment you had when you saw a part-time helper at the marketplace. I was wondering if you could speak about that.
1: Yeah, so where I live, we have a local market and people from the village, which I mentioned, they also come and they buy their basic resources over there. So I was at the grocery store with my mother and this was before we'd gone into the trial lockdown phase. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we had an idea that because they're putting us into a trial lockdown, a big one is going to come. So we were stocking up, and the lady in front of me, she just looked like any other lost woman at that moment. Mm -hmm. She was trying to buy sugar and rice. And there was a long line behind me with people from more economically stable families and backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, they were holding ingredients and resources. So the shopkeeper denied her like did not allow her to buy the packet of rice and sugar Mm. and she did not understand why he said that it's for people who need it more. And that Mm. economic distinction really came out then. So my mother you know, she knew exactly how the woman in front of her was feeling. The woman in front of her was also just a mother trying to feed her children at home. So mm. my mother bought the rice packets and bought another a few more necessities and medicines and gave it to this lady. Mm. And I mean I, I spoke to that lady. I spoke to her in Hindi. and I said, I, I asked her if she was fine, and she was on mm. the verge of tears. She, all she said was that she's really, really scared. Mm-hmm. because she does not know how it's going to progress from here on and she doesn't have access to any re- to any resources or to any websites or pay- newspapers which can tell her mm-hmm. because up until that moment it was the house where she was working the owner of that house was telling her that okay this is going on in the world just be prepared for this but because she's not she she wasn't allowed to enter that the place where she was working anymore because it's the restrictions imposed by that colony. She just looked panic, and she was scared of the uncertainty of the situation. She was lost. Like, all of us are a bit lost right now, but she had a thousand things running to her head. How am I gonna send money back to my family? What if this goes on for longer than 21 days? She was pretty scared, yeah.
0: And I guess from that experience especially, what you can see is on one hand, increased social distinctions with that shopkeeper, I guess, discriminating against someone from a lower income background. But then you have, I guess, an easing of regular social distinctions because your mother bought that for her. So I guess, what is the kind of social response that's come out of this? Do you see, I guess, more community being created across class lines or do you see heightened discrimination and heightened paranoia?
1: I see a bit of both. Like, every place has... Two types of people, the one who thinks like the type of people who think about themselves that, oh my God, I need to provide this for my family, this, 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 I don't care about anyone else. I need to do this for myself. Mm. And then the others, like my mother, she went out, she helped this lady and even the part-time worker just today, she called the part-time worker to the great gate of our colony, which is in a public road. And she gave her 10,000 rupees, which is about $150 and basic necessities for the for the next three weeks so I feel in some part it has made us realize how how lucky we are that we can continue with our daily lives in this new norm which is through social media and online connections and at the same time it's also made a lot more people aware of how bad the situation of discrimination is in our country among some people
0: yeah if you would say there's any one thing that you took away from this entire experience what would that thing be?
1: I'm never taking the basics for granted. I mean, up until about two weeks ago, I would take, you know, a carton of milk for granted that, Oh, if I drop this, I could just go to the supermarket and buy some more because the lockdown, my parents are very, very strict that you can only leave the house once in three days and that too for basic necessities. So for me personally, I'm not taking anything for granted. And I feel like we need to be able to educate people in a language they understand much, much better. I see. Like my mom, she was able to educate our part-time help, our driver and our maid really, really well. That She gave an example saying that up until these many days, you could get these many uh, rotis, which is, It's like a bread, you get these many rotis, but now because of the restrictions, you can only buy two or three at most. And she used that analogy to explain about how valuable the basic necessities are for them and for us. And from all of this, I realized that at the end of the day, we could be as economically strong as we want, or we could be as social, but we're all humans facing a global pandemic together Yes, some of us are better prepared for this, but it has an equal impact health-wise on all of us.
0: Yeah. And on that note, we're all in this together. Uh, Thank you so much for speaking with us, Ragini. Thank you so much for this opportunity. This has been Swathi Kala with the Harvard Political Review. If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please fill out the form below. Thank you for listening.